All right, I think we're going to be hanging out in the wild today on episode number 104. Pull that off. All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. Well, hello. Hello. Hey, you're back. We're back. You're back. We're back in civilization. It's interesting. And it only just dawned on me just now, literally, that we were both out in the wild this over the bank holiday. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I just hence the uh, wildness of the topic today. Is is that what inspired you to do? Well, yeah, definitely. I was um, we're camping this this long weekend from Saturday morning to Tuesday. Uh, in our camper van. And I was sitting, we're parked up right next to the beach in North Wales, in Anglesey. And I was sitting and just, you know, having my cup of coffee. The boys were off playing in the grass and whatever. And it's just so quiet. You know, when you're camping, it's just like, I love that morning bit of camping. Because whether you're in a tent or, you know, in a campsite or whether you're wild camping or whatever, there's a real quietness even despite some level of human activity which is why i get up so early in the morning yeah i have that every day yeah (laughs) i just feel like when i feel like it's different when you are immediately outdoors Hmm. you know when when your structure is small and your first thing that you do is go outside and if there's sort of a quiet Activity and the sort of a real quiet that sits below the sound you can hear in nature in that way. That yeah. you, you see, you? I feel like I don't he, I don't experience that even in even in my back garden. You know. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you contrast that with what you experience on a day-to-day basis when you wake up? So how is how is? It well, I feel like you know when when I'm different. inside. You know, I mean, okay, there's the young kid element, which is always makes, you know, early morning a bit more active and stuff. But what's also always been interesting to me is that even my kids, despite that they are the same people and they essentially just, you know, exhibit the same levels of energy. But when there's space, when there's outside, it doesn't feel hectic in the way, like, there is no sense of hecticness or franticness when you're out in that space. And well, I think, so anyway, I, say, I just... That's interesting, but what, what, do you, what causes it on this end? What causes the franticness on this end? So what's the fundamental... I think there's an... Inter- like, well, I mean, I think what I was reflecting with in terms of, like, the nature element yeah. is that there's a sort of feng shui sort of energetic thing mm. that is there that sort of when you're enclosed in a house and and energy sort of bounces off the walls rather than just goes out into the air. And I think also you are very influenced by the things that are coming in at you from the natural world when when you're out camping. So when you wake up and step outside, all of those quiet sounds and experience and vastness sort of come in to you and sort of help you then bring that out, that 
that sort of sense of yourself out, I guess. That's that's my experience, anyway. Okay. No, that's cool. I like it. Dig. I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. Um, so, so it just sort of, you know, then made me think about... Yeah, it just made me think about sort of being out in nature and, and how... You know, well, we always talk about how we're cut off from yeah. it, and you know, it's sort of modern life, and it's also negative and stuff, and 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 yet, you know, wildness and wilderness get a really bad rap in the sort of civilization chat. Yeah. And you know, I think so. I started reading. So in in response to that sort of feeling that morning, I started reading Gary Snyder's book, which I had bought ages ago. Um, and hadn't read yet. It was sitting on my Kindle. And it, it, so it's called The Practice of Wildness. And basically, I think the thing that I really loved overall, there's great stuff in that book, but, and I'm not all the way through it, but he, may, he, he sort of presents or represents the natural wild world as something utterly normal. Okay, so for the for the listeners, then, what does this wild world look like? Because the first question that's in my mind is, what do we mean by wilderness and wildness? Yeah, and yeah. Then, yeah. So I think that was one of the things that was really nice, because I always, I always sort of feel like you get into this certain way of perceiving things, you know, yeah. and labeling certain behaviors. Uh, you know, if I think about my kids, like, this is, you know whatever wild or you know but if someone redefines something for you then suddenly it, it you sort of can see it in a different way so he goes through the ideas of nature and wild and wilderness and basically he sort of says in the dictionary and in our sort of modern and what we immediately think of when we hear the word wild is always defined as what it is not so you know, not tame, undomesticated, uncultivated, um, you know, if you think about wild plants or mm. wild landscape. Um, in terms of wild behavior, it means sort of uncivilized, violent, destructive, unruly. So it's all about sort of the, the not rather than what it is. And so he redefines wild in terms of all these different things. So wild animals, free agents living within natural systems, wild plant, self-propagating, self-maintaining, wild land, place where original flora and fauna are intact and in interaction, and landforms are entirely the result of non-human forces, pristine. Uh, he says, wild societies, those whose order have grown from within, maintained by force of consensus and custom rather than explicit legislation whose economic system is close and sustainable relationship to the local ecosystem. And then wild individuals and behavior. So we might think of, you know, the wild savage image that comes to mind. He says, instead, we, we can define these people as following local custom and style without concern for the standards of the metropole, unintimidated, self-reliant, independent, wild behavior <laughs> and I think of my son fiercely resistant of any oppression any confinement or exploitation and all of these things turn what something into sometimes a positive or just sometimes mm. a, what it is you know yeah. so um, I just sort of even though 
it's not revolutionary. I, I appreciated reading that whole section. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it just makes you um, connect back in with your your own inner wild wildness mm-hmm. or your own inner nature. So I guess we can get very caught up in the day to day. Um, living, trying to make a living and, and all of that, um, that we get so busy. And I know we've talked about busyness in previous podcasts as well, that we forget to tune into the our own inner state nature, natural nature that doesn't have to put, get itself ready to face the sort of modern world society and That's busyness right. appointments and all those. So yeah. I think you experience, like you said, in the mornings, you get up and probably all day that the rhythm, it's a natural rhythm, isn't it? I think... When you're out there, you tend to get into a natural rhythm with, with, with nature, the sun coming up, going down. There's no, I know we have flashlights and things like that, but you tend to yeah. follow that There's same rhythm. There's not a rhythm. lot to do in yeah. the evening. You just exactly. go to sleep, don't you? Yeah. You have the fire going, and we do what we would have done naturally, and you sit around the fire, you, you tell some stories, or you talk. and Or you decide you've had enough of talking, and you're like, you yeah, enough, right. Let's, let's douse the yeah. fire out, and we go to sleep, but then yeah. the birds wake you up, and you're there, and the sun, and you just get into that sort of rhythm. Yeah. And it's a, it's it's almost it slows you down, and in that slowing down, you get back connected with self. At least that's what I sort of tend to find I think the other space. thing that, that I'm just reflecting on just now, and, and hearing you talk is, there's something about the way that we live now that is a constant battle for control and need for control mm. over everything. And I think that there's, in but, but nature, does that, does there's that a... that where the wildness comes from? Because if you think about yeah, wild... Yeah, I wonder. And we want to conquer everything, so we want to conquer nature. Yeah. So there's this wilderness, but yeah. I, you know... So it almost comes down to this, what I'm, I'm afraid of... Right, so I need to control it, yeah. Um, and then you know we've we've spent a lot of our effort as a human evolution and society of conquering nature in quotation marks, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the need to do that, uh, and maybe that just makes us feel more secure in ourselves. So, so Gary Snyder talks about growing up on the west coast of the U.S. and in a very sort of wild place, hmm. and. Um, he talks about how there's this uh, saying out in the West Coast that um, that the that the world is as sharp or that that nature is as sharp as the knife, edge of a knife, and it's sort of like you know that I sort of thought about that for a minute, and actually I think what what the, what they're potentially referring to is that sort of what we think of as sort of heartless aspect of nature that's like you know the baby the mother bird that throws the babies that aren't going to that she knows aren't going to survive just out of the nest hmm. it's like let's not pro- prolong this suffering of you because you i know you're not going to survive you know and there's there's sort of a that's interesting that you say that because you just reminded me of uh, we had a litter of kittens cats and she just had her, her babies mm-hmm. and we moved them into the cat pen and for whatever reason the mother cat freaked out and we didn't and then she started attacking her kittens and trying to like really hurt them and so when we were looking it up that a, ca- a cat if they feel that a predator is around it would kill the baby she would rather kill them herself wow. rather than have them be 
killed or destroyed by something else. So she literally was trying to kill her own kittens, whatever freaked her out right. in that sort of space. And, and so much so that we actually had to separate them because once she had that in her mind, then she just would, she stopped feeding them and was trying to right. really hurt them or kill There's them. There's a real, but, yeah. but I think, you know, so, so he says in his book, the possibility that the world is as sharp as the edge of a knife scares people mm. and, and particularly in, in sort of modern civilized way of thinking about that aspect because I don't think all peoples and all cultures had that attitude towards the, that aspect of nature um, and he says they wanted to take that edge away which is exactly you know and it's funny because you know okay so I have to bring up the fact that um, we were at the campsite and this oh, guy yeah. the guy pulled mm. up in this massive motorhome and uh, I always, you know, we're in our little camper van with our, you know, minimal stuff because it doesn't fit a lot of stuff. And, you know, these people have tons of stuff and tons of room for stuff. And in a way, that's great. But he pulls out not only a massive barbecue that you literally find, like, in your backyard, yeah. but he um, then gets out two rolls of AstroTurf. And I just literally started crying with laughter because I was like, this guy has brought grass camping. Like he's Now, you, you know, realize but, the irony here, though. What's that? Because you brought a camper van. Oh, totally. Out into nature. No, no, no. I think it's one of those things where it's like I just found it funny, mm. and yeah, I mean, totally. Like, hip, there's there's all kinds of hypocrisies no, that no, I listen, would. No, I would. Is, no, this is interesting. I'm glad you just said that because I hadn't thought about this when you told me about Atchester. But think about what you've done with your camper van, and you've brought oh, civilization yeah. totally out into the wild. Totally. But, uh, but not, not, it's, that's not a criticism, but think about the, and, and people do it all the time, don't we? So You're taking is, the edge off. We're taking the you? edge off. Yeah. We're still yeah. separating ourselves from nature. It's like, mm-hmm. well, let me bring a little piece of, 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 of home, although, civilization. To, yeah, I need to have this around me because... Although I think that there is, there is then, you, you go, you work your way back and... From, from that point and at some point whether that's like a tent or something we do need shelter hmm. but there's shelter and then there's they shelter they totally 100% <laughs> and I'm like I love my camper van because yeah. it's not me sleeping on the ground I which I can't stand but you know um, our friend Eleanor Brown who so who walked um, the, she walked the entire coastline of Wales hmm. and uh you know, over obviously like three, four months, it took her of constant daily walking. And she said one of the things that was a real reflection was just like humans are not really set up for like, a be- you know, for the natural world in the sense of like, we do need our stuff because we easily get cold. We easily, you know, need stuff. So... You know, there's sort of, there is that, but, you know, your, your yeah, comment no, about totally. the, the camper van's totally right on. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, it's that, I think what, what's also so funny is, but that's you, the you humor thing, is you recognize, you recognize in that thing a truth in yourself as yeah, well, don't well, you? Of like exactly. the trying to take the edge off of everything. and So you rock up with your big old yeah. camper van. You have to try, yeah. maybe one day, if you want to have a really, really good experience, is, is just using a, a bivy bag. Mm. Only piece of shelter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. again, whole nother, totally, a whole totally. nother um, experience. And I've, yeah, I've had the fortune or misfortune, however you want to look at it, to do the survival yeah. training stuff. Just yeah. um, how, again, it's one of these things where you say, well, we, how cold can you get? But actually, we can take a lot more than we 
right. believe that we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, we do still need uh, shelter of some sort, so you have to be able to create that so that you don't, because we don't have fur. Um, but we're actually a lot more hardy than we feel, but civilization and having the house yeah. around you and heat and yeah, things yeah. like that um, kind of makes us think we need more than we actually do do, which I think is another point, isn't it? That we, you know, we, we have all the stuff that we have and we feel like we need more than we probably actually need. Totally. And then taking yeah. this trip back into nature maybe is a way of scaling things back down to retouch base back with who we are and, and our maybe fundamental human nature. Yeah. I mean, I, I was sort of thinking about all this on the, the way over in terms of as much as we're, we struggle to accept a lot of the harshness of that knife's edge of, of the wild. Hmm. I think there's something in us that is that way and therefore n- wants that. So it, it's, it's a weird sort of attraction, repulsion at the same time thing, I think, where the, we're, we're frightened of that edge and so we're trying to take the edge away and make what is essentially a a very temporary impermanent well, and, and as you're saying that I'm thinking all animals do that though. But you know, have you read The Life of Pi? Yeah. There's some interesting things there. I'm, not, I'm not sure if I totally agree with that though about like the zoo. Well I'm just thinking about That's the just not well like the terror like an animal needs to feel secure in whatever environment it does. Yeah. So it looks to do that, doesn't it? I mean if I yeah. look at the cats, when we get these cats in and they're all yeah. like we just had some that are near were nearly feral. Yeah. Um, but when we bring them into an environment, the first thing, you know, one is fear, because I don't know this environment, so they try and find the smallest place that they can get into and control. Mm-hmm. And it's only when they feel that they have the edge taken off in that little space that they then start to span out. I mean, the pen that we have for these, the cats, it's got an inner space and it's got a really massive space. But when they first come in, even though they got all that room, they'll go into the smallest corner in the, underneath the box and they'll stay there and they'll hardly ever venture out until they start to feel more secure. And then yeah. they continue to expand um, their environment until to the point where they finally get used to it and then they'll use the whole of the pen. But I think it's, I think maybe naturally there's something that in all living things is I need to understand the limit. I need to understand the environment that I am. Am I safe? Which I guess is instinct, yeah. isn't it? Which against is about yeah. survival. Um, when I feel that I have, and I'm saying control, I don't know if control is the right word, safe is probably the better word. When I feel like the my immediate environment is safe then I'm able to come out of myself be more relaxed kind of actually enjoy the space I suppose something like that yeah yeah Yeah. and I think um, you know I don't go man and taking the edge off of 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 nature Um, and I wonder is some of that because we don't do it as much anymore so how as we as we get more and more urbanized, do we lose the natural ability that we once had and do have? Like when I do the ascent and I take people out into the um, into the wilds, yeah. And we do I do I take them on a night walk, 
Right. I like my symbols in the background here. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I take them on a night walk. And one of the things that I don't allow them to do is to use a flashlight. Yeah. But that's them wanting to take the edge off of the night. That's right. So they want to, but I say, well, you know, don't, no flashlight. And if you let your eyes accustomed to the dark and your whole sort of visual purple thing, um, you, you'll find that you can actually see very well in the dark. But we want to control it, so I want to yeah. get my flashlight out of my head torch and so I can see. Yeah. And then by doing that, I actually make it harder for me to see naturally. Right. Um, so I have them not use their torch. And then the other thing that I have them do as we're uh, walking along is, um, because people, the reason why they want to have it so I don't trip, don't stub my feet, don't fall on a log, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is that they actually have to feel the earth like. So, you know, actually feel the weight of your body and what you're stepping on. Yeah. And so they, again, another grounding um, with nature in that aspect as and I begin to feel nature again. I get to feel my connection with the earth. Yeah. One, my safety depends on it because it's nighttime and it's dark. I can't see everything. And um, But in that connecting with the earth they start to connect with themselves again and then they also find out that well actually I can see pretty good in the dark and after a while once you know a few you know half hour into the walk people start to feel a lot more comfortable and relaxed in the pitch dark (laughs) yeah um you know in the mountains and but you know it, it takes that it takes that taking away the need to want to take the edge off of yeah, nature to yeah, make right. them connect with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah that, yeah, that is interesting. I I just I think I'm gonna sit with this idea about the sort of that tension between the wanting to take the edge off but also the wanting the wanting to reconnect mm. with that. I mean I think that that's what gets you know like so so you know, I was thinking because Gary Snyder talks in his book about how so there's this wildness of the world. So he says, the world, with the exception of a tiny bit of human intervention, is ultimately a wild place. And that the wilderness is also, that wildness is also within us. So our breath, our digestion, our intuition. There's a lot of deep intelligence, like. You know, and I don't. I don't wildness. know how to digest my own food. Yeah. You know, like that is the wild part of me that knows how to do that. That is intelligent and knows how to circulate my body and get all of that energy to every single cell that needs it in in my body. Now, is that wild or is that nature? This is what I'm, I'm well, thinking now. How are we differentiating between? So I um, failed to write nature. what he says is nature on the thing. So he says, okay, here it is. Nature, take nature first. So he goes through these different concepts of nature, wild, and wilderness. And he says, the word nature comes from Latin natura, birth, constitution, the course of things. So things have to be born, nation, natal, native, pregnant. All of these things come from that nature root. So it's, it's sort of just things being born and taking their own course is is sort of how he describes that word. He says that they get two slightly different meanings. One is the outdoors, and then one is like what is natural versus what is supernatural, Hmm. you know, and things that we can't explain. So in this sense, he sort of says things like New York City is natural, but it's not wild. 
I think I would probably disagree with that. It's, not, it's, it's man-made. It's not necessarily... So I always took nature to be things that are... Yeah. Organic. I don't think he's saying. I, I don't think he's saying it's nature. I think he's saying it's natural, because it's it's the course of the way that humans have developed in that space. But it's not. It's not a construct. It's not nature. Say. It's not nature, and it's not wild, because it's doesn't have. What about have if you a, live in a place where there's little law in New York City, like in some of the places that are quite wild <laughs> yeah. that you would yeah. you know what I mean yeah I think that's it, true that's true yeah. so because I'm thinking of nature as in um, it, it occurs naturally it's not man-made yeah. it's not synthetic right, right, right. it's not mm-hmm, constructed mm-hmm. Um, and then the wildness is almost um, a lack of or an absence of um, uh, order or tameness See, I think what he's saying, though, is that wild is actually a ferocious orderliness to the world. Mm. That that there is the ferociousness of that nice edge of the wild, like eat or be eaten. You know, things Mm. die and other things grow, plants, animals, things interact with each other, whatever. So that's a natural But that that there is a sort of order to the impermanence of it all Mm. that that must be accepted. And I think the thing, there's something in that, I think, that we need, even though we're afraid of. Yeah. Well, I I would, if I say order, would have to say natural order, because I get that. So the natural order of things is, yeah, I'm a lion and I'm going to go hunt and I'm going to eat kill that thing because I got to eat, I got to survive. Yeah. Um, I think if you take away the word natural order and just put ordered act to me, smacks yeah, of yeah, man-made yeah. process. So he says that wild and the way that um, he redefines it, like I, I did a bit ago, says that this comes the closest to the Chinese term Tao. Mm. So the great way of nature. So he says, eluding analysis, beyond categories, self-organizing, self-informing, playful, impermanent, unmediated, manifesting. Hmm. So all of these things, I just, I sort of feel like it gets, it gets both negative connotations and also those negative connotations feel alienating. For a while, do you mean? Yeah. That, that nature. Because yeah. it seems like nature has a, quite a... Yeah. Maybe a bit more of a gentle sort of thing to it, yeah. Yeah, I think nature has a sense of, well, one, that we lose touch with nature and Mm -hmm. that sort of aspect, and Mm -hmm. we want to kind of return back to it. But we don't necessarily want wild, which is why you bring your camper van and you bring your grass and things like that, because I don't want wild. I don't want to go to the wilderness, because that might be too scary or lack the skills or whatever. Right. But I do want to go back into nature, a natural right. surra- yes, surrounding yes, to yes. hear the birds and pay attention and see yeah. all the stars in but the I sky. Think, I think in that, what I do agree with, that there is an essential and inescapable wildness to any bit of nature. To? To any bit of nature. Well, there is a, well. There is a wildness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw you in a so, combat situation, you'll see how wild people are. We revert well, to our, our, well, see, I was just going to use the word, we revert back to our nature. Yeah. Um, but it's but the our wild, wild nature. nature. That's which right. Is I, w- I was a whole different animal, isn't it? I think, well, I think for women, I was, I was really thinking about this in terms of pregnancy, because I think this is, we, we sort of go through our lives, and this is, I'm, I'm talking particularly about women, yeah. you know, you go to school like, you know, everybody, and you go to university, or you do your first job, or whatever you do, and there come, there, there's sort of a, 
a, a, a, like, I feel like when I was younger, I bought into more the men and women are mostly the same yeah. thing. Whereas I think once you get into that period of maybe wanting to have kids or, or getting a bit older and taking on those different roles, actually the, the difference has become quite apparent, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think with pregnancy, that's a real woman's experience of the wildness of your inner self that like there's this whole creation thing that you're sort of your civilized head is sort of watching happen Were you re- and then is that just limited to women on that side I'm just thinking the whole sort of sexual process is wild totally totally completely it? but then I was thinking you know so, so one of my friends is um, just about to have her first baby and so I've been talking to her about, about all this and I had bo- both of my kids at home yeah and I was just wondering, because she's, um, her baby's breached, so she's got a plan C section, and she was sort of talking to me about, like, there's sort of a disappointment with that. And there, this is a common thing with women, is, like, wanting to go through, being disappointed about cesareans and wanting to go through that process of natural birth. And I'm thinking, why? Because it is very painful, hmm. you know? And I, I feel like there must be something that is that, that inner desire to connect with that part of yourself that is an animal and is wild and and is doing things in the way that it is supposed to naturally be done and it feels it feels almost alienating from yourself to take control of that situation but i think we've we've done i mean and i get it and i think it's 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 we do a lot of things that maybe separate us from our nature yeah. Our natural self. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess with the whole sort of reproductive cycle and men, women, sexuality and all that is, again, natural stuff that we perhaps have created different sorts of rules and constructs around. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, underneath it is the nature yeah. of procreation, make babies so that the species doesn't die out. And then we build everything else on, on yeah. top of it. But it's normal, natural course of um i don't know we talked about the red queen there's a book called the red queen and uh we can link it in the show notes and and it just talks about this idea that um we are um well basically we're controlled by our genes as in the yeah so the things that we're doing stem from the fact that nature this natural wildness for us. The yeah. whole thing is about the survival of that particular species. So everything that we're doing on top of that is to ensure the survival of hmm. the human being. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look at all the mating rituals and things of that nature, you see that we still haven't lost any of that. It's changed. That's right. Yeah. Um, it has a different cover on it, but underneath it's the same sort of process so and I don't, and I guess if we're talking nature then you don't those things are innate in you and I know you mentioned earlier before we started rolling the tape about archetypes and things like that and your I guess your basic human nature no one has to teach you those things are kind of encoded in your DNA um, to do mm-hmm and we got other other things you have to learn you have to be socialized in the society that you're in um, but there's some natural processes that exist in that. Um, let's take you know, a quick break. Yeah, go yeah. Ahead. Just sorry, yeah. just the last thing I was thinking about off the back of that is that um, 
that's the other thing I was thinking in terms of our, our need and desire to reconnect with the wildness, even though at the same time we're trying to disconnect from it because we're afraid of it. And I think that whole idea, I was sort of wondering if not only is the archetype of the wild, but that's the, that's the space of the hero's journey, which is mm. all of our journey. So going at, like that whole story of going out on adventure is actually coming back to that desire to reconnect with that part of ourselves. And um, Gary Snyder talks about how um, in cultures that are still living in wild or, you know, whatever, he says, people of wilderness cultures rarely seek out adventures. If they deliberately risk themselves, it is for spiritual rather than economic reasons. And I think about all the conquistadors, all the explorers, all the the desire that that people have now for doing all of these risk-taking things because it brings them that adrenaline or that that excitement or that feeling of adventure and stuff and it's just you think if you already have that if you already feel the nice edge of of the world very closely every day you don't need to reconnect with that because you feel that knife's edge but i i wonder if as much as we're trying to dull off the knife's edge we're also trying to find it do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I guess maybe it's, it comes back to labels again because I'm thinking about that Bruce Berry series and yeah. tribes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you look at it from Bruce's point of view in Western civilization, then he's going on an adventure. Yeah. And all an adventure is is I don't know what the outcome is going to be. That's yeah. the simplest definition of adventure, and hence there's there's like four classifications. So a class one adventure is I'm doing something a little bit ordinary, but I'm in control all the way up to category four where I'm out of control. Out the is, wilderness of whatever well, that is. Not yeah. even that. Not even, it's even worse than that as in I'm in a perilous situation. I'm jumping out of right. an airplane without a parachute. Right. That's a class four. I mean, there's okay. hardly any way you're going to survive that that thing. Right. Yeah. And so when you're doing these adventures, you want to be a th- you know in the three-ish right. because you have no idea how it's going to turn out, but you have the skills and you have the Ability and whatever and the need, agility, yeah. the mental capacity to solve the problem. Um, but a class three can quickly become a class four if you lose an essential item or something like that. Um, and so I think, you know, if then when I look at it from the tribe's point of view, I think they have adventure when they go on a right. hunt because I got to get eat. It's a dangerous thing. I don't know the outcome. Am I going to get any food? Am I going to get, you know, speared by that boar is he going to stick his tusk in me so there's an adrenaline mm-hmm. rush mm-hmm. with that aspect of life so in, in essence while they're doing it for survival if you if you if you mapped it out they're having an adventure in that yep. and they yep. feel an elation when they if you watch them when they kill finally do kill their animal you know there's an elation with that there's a yep. um, and if likewise if they're going to war with another tribe again there's some that's an, an adventure. Again, the yeah. outcome is uncertain. Mm-hmm. Adrenaline is there, heightened state of awareness. All those things happen. Yep. But whereas we might be doing it for recreation, they're yeah. doing it for... That's their daily survival. life. They're not, they're not seeking it out. <laughs> they're just doing it because yeah, of course saying, of life. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I'll, well, although I'll tell you, know, there are some cultures who were very warlike and that was part of the whole sort of you yeah, know, manhood yeah. thing mm-hmm. as well. So, you know... Yeah, that's true. Um, 
Yeah, well, anyway, let's take a break okay. and then let's come back and let's talk about um, Emerson's nature. Emerson's nature, peace, and the whole sort of spirituality. Because I think that's where, that's my reason for going out into the wild, is probably more closer aligned with um, the Emerson piece. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. Our goal for 2018 is to grow our audience, our community of contemplators like you, and we would really appreciate your help with this. Now, there's a few things that you as a listener can do that are pretty easy and simple that will really help us out a lot. So if you enjoy the podcast and want it to continue, it would be great if you could share it with a few friends who you think might enjoy listening. Um, going to iTunes and giving us a review so that it boosts us in the algorithms and it can come across other people who might enjoy it. And if you'd like to financially support the podcast, you can go to the contribution section of our website. Thanks and back to the show. Okay, so Emerson. Um, wrote an essay called Nature. Yeah, he wrote a, it's a long, whenever I think of essays, you know, you're thinking... A couple uh, thousand a couple words. A couple thousand words. His, yeah. his essay's a, a book, man. I'm like, yeah. what the heck is this? But anyway, he wrote uh, an essay called Nature. It's divided into, is it? Chapters. Eight, eight parts? Yeah, yeah, chapters. The very first one is called Nature, but then he looks at some different aspects of um, nature and how it plays out and how we've adapted concepts of nature to help us continue in our development but the very basic nature of it everything to the sort of transcendentalist um, is that nature is the place that we can go to one develop our own relationship with God um, or what the concept of God um, and that it's an it's almost like it's an it, it is almost like it is an individual experience so you have to go to have the experience as opposed to someone saying that this is the way to do things or this is what here are the rules yeah. of worship. Um, some of the quotes that I like, he says, in the woods, um, we return to reason and faith. So I know we spent the first half and we were talking about what's our sort of essential sort of human nature. And I think from Emerson's point of view, it was about, if you want to know what that is, you need to return back to the wild. And, by, and in that, as in there's nothing between you and the wilderness. So he makes an example about being in solitude and if even though you're reading and writing and you're alone, that's not true solitude because, yeah, you got the words of someone else in this. But to be truly um, in the space of, of connecting with nature, it has to be nothing in between you and it and mm-hmm. to go out to, to li- and listen. And um, he says, why should we not also enjoy an original relationship and he's talking about this idea of organized spirituality or organized religion so he's like why should we not also enjoy an original relationship with the universe why should we not have a poetry and a philosophy of insight not and not of tradition and a religion by revelation to us and not the history of others and this idea that we need to go into solitude, one needs to retire as much from his chamber as also from society um, to really go and be in connection with nature. And anything that we might want to learn about nature is from nature itself. Yeah. 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 No, it was a good, it was a good um, sort of 
thing to read after, after this wild book. He says, undoubtedly we have no questions to ask which are unanswerable. We must trust the perfection of the creation so far as to believe whatever curiosity the order of things has awakened in our mind, the order of things can satisfy. In other words, like, basically all of our questions about the order of the universe, about our relationship with God, man, nature, can be answered by experience with the natural world. Yeah. So because we as individuals and all things outside of us are simply a manifestation of the divine then you can investigate that doesn't matter what you're investigating you can investigate that and you will find the universal yeah is that what your understanding is yeah that's what i get and i like this idea about um because you mentioned about a a inner self and inner wilderness and he does talk a bit about that as well he's talking about each individual is a manifestation of creation um, and you can unlock what you were saying here unlock the mysteries of the universe so nature too is both an expression of the divine and a means of understanding it and when you go out into nature he's saying the lover of nature uh, is he whose inward and outward senses are still truly adjusted to each other so who has retained the spirit of infancy even into the era of manhood? His intercourse with heaven and earth becomes part of his daily bread. So, which is interesting because we were talking earlier about we go get in our camper vans and drive out to go into wilderness. Um, and I think, and I guess, you know, I guess it was an industrial kind of time there, 18-something, wasn't it? Yeah, 1830s, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's almost like for him, there's some need a daily connection with nature, whether that's to go on a very long walk yeah. out into the woods. Um, yeah. But I need to go. You need to go into or go out and look at the stars. Even go out into a field and look at the stars and contemplate them. Um, for Emerson, was a connection back with with I nature. I think my main problem with reading this is that. Because I, I, I like most of it, mm. and most of it really resonates with me. But I feel like Emerson still falls into that mode of thinking that human beings are the pinnacle of evolution. Yeah, we are, man. <laughs> Where did you get this idea we're, we're not? So, so everything <laughs> is sort of striving to be like human. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that you know, he, he has this poem at the beginning... Um, of the book that says um, the eyes read omens where it goes and speaks all languages the rose and striving to be man the worm mounts through all the spires of form you know in other words like even the lowliest beast is ultimately striving towards complexity and the pinnacle of that is man Hmm. And I just think that is quite counter to the idea of us reconnecting with nature in the sense that I am an animal just like all animals. Yeah. I am actually not special. I am not. But how would you reconcile that up with the fact, I guess it depends on whether you're a creationist or an evolutionist, that at one time we were less than a worm. We were some protozoa thing. I think thing. everything, everything. And we um, evolved up to man. That's right. Well, it, it evolves in complexity. Hmm. But that kind of thinking is sort of a, a stemming... Well, I mean, it's... 
Yeah, it's, it's assuming that, that the, the pinnacle of all complexity is, is humans and that, and I'm not sure that's right. But not, I, I don't believe that's right, actually. But not to, not for, our, not because There's of There's a moral us. aspect to it that yeah. I, that I feel like I sense from Emerson. That's like, we can, we can come back to nature to learn about ourselves, but ultimately nature is here to inform man. Hmm. And I'm like, that starts to teeter a bit for me on like I don't know this, if I took that, this, that, that um, nature exists to inform man I think he, well everything that, that he goes through though yeah. you know commodity like nature as commodity nature as beauty nature as language nature as discipline so these are the four like the four yeah. aspects and cha- and sort of chapters or whatever sections of this essay but everything is like in relation to what man needs and satisfying man's Desire. So but man is a part of nature, is it? Is he not? He is part of nature, and it was almost to me, at least, what I'm taking from this. Yeah. This is how we, if you want to understand ourselves or our, who we are, then you need to appreciate what nature is giving you, which is right. what you need. Because nature reflects to yeah, you, what right? You're, what you are, and and even now, it's like he was saying that all science and technology is still out there trying to figure out what nature is trying to dissect it but still has no idea what it is but if you really want to know what you are you go and you learn from nature basically nature is the greatest teacher and you will understand the universe by paying attention to nature but where but where you're coming from is man is very egotistical and we want to control Nature, and so we build well, houses. Well, it's egotistical <laughs> also in the sense that there's there's differing differing complexities, mm. but we don't actually know that we're more highly developed or whatever than whales or you know other like do you know what I mean? There, there's sort of a I, I feel like there's a lack of appreciation for the limitations of yeah. our. But are you mixing two different maybe. things? In maybe, maybe I, I think as in, you know, we can look and see that we're more complex, but that, so, but if he, it doesn't mean that we're, if, could you use the word moral? Morally better, yeah. he doesn't, yeah. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think yeah, man maybe. is necessarily morally better than another animal, but you can look and say man is a, as a, scientifically we're more complex than the earthworm. Yeah, yeah. But we're not better than an earthworm. Yeah. We're just different. I think the thing is, is when you, when, when I was reading through it, yeah, it's more, it like, it just had a slightly different feel than the approach of people like Gary Snyder or Mm. Robert McFarlane or, or people who are going back out into nature as a, what can you teach me because I am like almost the ignorant one mm. whereas I feel like Emerson's like the the it's more of like the tone of it is man going out to take and learn mm. or to take knowledge from you know or to employ nature for his own purposes and and I'm not sure if that's the intent maybe I'm just yeah. misreading it I'm sad. I probably wouldn't have walked away with, with that. that yeah because yeah. I mean you're right there is the other way of seeing it is like these are the things we can because if you remember where he's from coming nature, from appreciate nature. he's coming from uh, a sense of spirituality yeah and re- you know almost a rejection of and the transcendentalist rejected organized religion 
um, and spirituality, right. as in yeah. we mm-hmm. can go all the spirituality and religion that we need is out in nature. I don't yeah. need a man to tell me this. I don't need organized church and, and things to say here's what your your here's your place in the universe and what it is according to these written rules. And so for these guys, it was a rejection of all of that. They said, well, actually, you just need to walk out to your back garden if you want to have a direct communion with God right. or the universe or whatever you want to call them. And they were happy to call it God, but it was, you had that true personal connection with the universe. Yeah. And not to have anything in between You that. see this in, in, in Taoism and Buddhism and in, in most religions, actually. Mm. You have the nature metaphors to actually explain things that are sort of greater processes that are almost beyond words. So I, I always remember in the... There's a story by Thich Nhat Hanh, who's um, a Vietnamese Buddhist mm. um, and teacher and he is sort of like having this walk or something and, and looking at these flowers and remembering that the flowers had sort of almost come no 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 I think he was reflecting on are these the same flowers they come they come from the same plant are they the same ones that were there last year are they new are they neither you know there was there's some kind of like reflection about the sort of impermanence of flowers and I think coming through the spring this year we, we had such a long winter mm. then you finally get the spring and then it's like these flowers come and then they're gone and there's something I think very powerful about taking time to reflect on that as a that's life yeah, so kind that, of thing that's almost a reminder of all living things I mean we, that's have, right. a, so, we have a shelf life as well don't we so that's right yeah so I think maybe that's sort of the whole thing is taking time to actually sit with that truth that the flowers are telling you mm. about everything and, and I think the big thing is that is taking the time to sit and look at flowers because there would be some who say, who's got time to be sitting and looking at flowers? What's the point of that? Yeah. Because there's other things to be doing and getting on with and being more productive and all the other stories that we tell ourselves that make us not want to sit down and look at flowers. Yeah. I remember that line from the last Samurai where it says, when they're looking at the cherry blossom, mm-hmm. um, and he tells Tom Cruise's character that you could spend a lifetime studying the cherry blossom alone, and it would not be a life wasted. But uh, yeah, and I think that is exactly maybe what Emerson and, and all of the stuff is sort of saying about the wild and spirituality mm-hmm. is, you because everything is a manifestation of the the ultimate truths about the natural wild world that we are a part of. Yeah. Then. You know, there's um there's a a bit in sort of the beginning of this practice of wildness, um, where he says, uh, self-realization, enlightenment is another aspect of our wildness, bonding with the wild in ourselves. Sorry, the bonding of the wild in ourselves to the wild process of the universe. So it's that sort of acknowledgement and I think there's sort of a real comfort that comes with that reconnection and acknowledgement yeah I quite like the um, Emerson's and again this is this blending of inner and outer he says in order to experience 
awe in the presence of nature. We need to approach it with a balance between our inner and our outer senses. So it's almost this this connection that what you bring out into nature, if you're out of balance, then you're not going to experience all of what you could experience. Or maybe like what you're getting at, if I've come with an idea of superiority um, and conquer and fear and all those other things... And my experience it. it with nature, I'm going to miss the all because I'm not in a balanced as well or, and open to that mm. experience and miss out. So there's almost like this, yeah, this is this idea of, and I guess I get from that sentence this, uh, again, I am an out, uh, a sense of balance. And yeah. I know for me, when I do go out into the mountains, particularly, um, part of what I get from it is that sense of rebalancing mm-hmm. because you spend so much time doing what we do on a daily basis work and doing all the stuff we do back in civilization and quotation marks that yeah. when I do get out into the wilderness the wild it's almost a rebalancing your mind as you experience with the waking up the mind slows down everything slows down and gets back into a natural rhythm and then I think in that rhythm at least for myself then I reconnect with self in that natural rhythm I have the space and the time to do that and then the longer that I find that I spend out in that state then I can experience some of the things that perhaps Emerson is talking here in terms of the sublime and the um, the awe of nature even if it's something as simple as looking at some flower growing on the side of the mountain and, and that and I can remember and one of the things that I love the most is sometimes, like especially when there's no other people around, because I quite often will go in the mountains alone and there's no one else around. And that sense of almost insignificance in the surrounding of all these, this, ex, the expanse and the height of the mountains and just to feel like a tiny little dot and all of that, to me, just amazes me in that sense. It's I like, think that's the thing. That's that's really what I'm talking about too in terms of the sort of both attraction and repulsion to that aspect Mm. is like we're scared to be that insignificant but sometimes feeling insignificant like I feel that more when I look up at the stars and I love Mm. space and I love going to the space center with my boys and stuff because I I love that feeling of reconnecting with my own insignificance because it makes all the problems and all the stuff that's going on in your head. Small. Just, it makes yeah. them all very small. It makes them go away because they're like, insignificant. What, are, what in a relief. What a relief to yeah. be insignificant sometimes. And, you know, I, I like my movies because it just made me think of that Pixar one, Ants. And uh, Woody Allen's character is on the couch and he goes, I feel so insignificant. And then the psychiatrist is like, oh, yes, we've got a breakthrough. We did? Yes, you are insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And exactly. And that's what I feel like in the presence of the mountains sometimes, that insignificance. But in that insignificance, it puts everything into perspective. It's like, yeah. actually, nothing's that big of a deal. There's no, yeah, yeah. It just all seems so small. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you say, then there's something that's all inspiring about that for me. Yeah. And that sort of space. Um, so yeah, so I think... Um, you know, getting out into nature, even if it's just to go for a walk in the fields and actually, again, paying attention to what's around you 
Um, and that's, I guess that's part of the practice because sometimes we might take, and it's back to this balancing again, sometimes we might take our problems out with us, but if you still carry those problems when you're out in nature and you miss nature because you're tied up in your own head thinking through your problems, I think if you spend a length of time, like going for a long walk, some of those things start to melt away and you start to then appreciate and notice and see nature, but then by getting that balance back, it helps you to see the nature of your problem and it may be in a different way. Yeah. Um, so yes, always. That's my one tip that I would leave for folks is if you work it on anything, problem or want to be creative or whatever that might be, go for a nice long walk uh, out in the fields, out in the park, wherever. Just go somewhere where you're in the natural surrounding. Um, and I think the, for me, the walking is key. Uh, and I don't know if we've done an episode on walking, and we might have done, we might have touched on it before. Some of my favorite writers and philosophers, that's where they, their office was out walking. Um, Voltaire, Nietzsche, those kind of characters. Um, yeah, there's something about the motion. Mm-hmm. If you're, that's in, right. if you're yeah. in, in moving, um, that again shifts a percep- or your perception yeah. and the way that you see things. Yeah. yeah. Any final thoughts from you? No, that's good. That's I liked it. it. All right, cool. Thanks for chatting about wildness with me. Yeah. Get in touch with your inner wildness, your inner caveman or cavewoman. Yeah. I like it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. We have a goal for 2018 to grow our audience, our contemplate, our community of contemplators like you and we'd really appreciate your help in fact there's a few things that you can do quite easily that would really help us out a lot one is by sharing it with other friends that you think might enjoy listening to the show another is going to itunes and giving us a review which will boost the algorithm and put the show out in front of more eyes that um, can people can come across it and you can financially support the show by going to the contribution section of our website Thanks a lot.